Hello, listeners, to another episode of The Circuit. I am Ben Beharin. Greetings, Internet. I'm Jay Goldberg with a brand new microphone. Yes, and some nice headphones that people can see if uh, if they watch the, the YouTube link of, <laughs> of our, our thing, which I still encourage people to check out because you don't just have to watch the whole segment. I'm breaking them up now into smaller kind of highlights, if you will, little mini segments of uh, of some of the some of the nuggets <laughs> nuggets that were that were that were dishing tiktok here we come tiktok famous um so i i was just at an event from mediatek a company that a number probably a number of our listeners listen to but i know many on the uh, invest side of our listeners are, don't always track this company because they're not listed on an american exchange but they're always in in the conversation. They they come up very regularly when you're looking at mobile markets and uh, uh, obviously smartphone. Meaning what I mean by mobile. But there's some interesting interesting changes afoot. They're in an interesting position, sort of similar to uh, to Qualcomm, if you will. Very many very many similarities. But I'm always intrigued by this question because this kind of gets gets thrown around. So I'm curious on on your thoughts. I already think I know what you'll say. But if, if, if you were to sort of just summarize your, your, your normal thinking of MediaTek, like how would you summarize them or the role they play in the industry in just a brief sentence or two? MediaTek reminds me of this guy I knew in college who was aggressively boring. His, his big goal in life is that he wanted to be an actuary. Like not just okay. a normal accountant, but an actuary. Like for some reason, he got in his head that he really wanted to be an actuary. Yeah, and he he could have been an electrical engineer. He's a really smart guy. He could have been like done computer programming, could have done you know business, been a banker, anything. But he really wanted to be an actuary, and he started doing that right out of college and built himself a little actuary consulting practice, and he makes a really good living. You know, he doesn't get to fly in corporate jets. He doesn't uh, zoom around the world going to fancy conferences. He doesn't make, you know, internet crazy money, but he's consistently made really good money throughout his career. And he has a pretty good life as a result. Yeah. And I, I think MediaTek is very much in the same camp. Like they are a little bit out of mind. Like you said, they're, they're listed in Taiwan. They're based in Taiwan. A lot of people here don't think about them. I mean, I, I had to struggle for years when I was in the street to get people to pay attention to them at all. Mm. But they're they're important and doing pretty well. Yeah. So good for them. I, I think, you know, we we were sort of having this perception perception uh, conversation amongst a, a, a number of the analysts at this event, you know, and you and you it wasn't just our perception. It's what you hear also of the industry, you know, that one. They're kind of just the value player. And, and that has been where they've been, right? I, I think it's interesting, though, that, that to be honest with you, we see them as the value player, how everybody who's been in consumer electronics for any number of history might remember that when DVD players were growing, they were the leading market share SOC in all DVD players, including the premium. So if you were somebody like a company like Zoran, who also made a, a media co-processor, media processor, and you were building DVD players, MediaTek was the king. Like they were the one you're like, I got to take share from them. They're dominant. Then through evolution, right? They're going on into smartphones. 
Um, they are actually, I mean, most people's TVs probably don't know that, but whether you have a high end to a mid range TV, even low end, you've probably got a MediaTek, uh, a MediaTek chip in it. But the point is, is that when you just look at smartphones, they've sort of been that value competitor, right? They don't have the flagship in that, like Qualcomm does, or obviously like Apple. And that, and that really gets the perception. That's just, regardless of other things I just said, that's where people kind of squarely put them is they're, well, they're the value player. They're not in anything premium, but you know, they're just doing okay. Like you said, but they're, they're value. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think for a long time, the company has suffered from that perception. People have underestimated them considerably. Uh, they, they look at them as sort of the, the cheap, the knockoff Qualcomm, right. To be really crude about it. And I, I think that's grossly unfair. They, they're immensely capable engineering teams. They're, uh, they have really solid modems. They just have a very different business model and different set of priorities than other companies. And yep. right, I think it's underappreciated how much of China smartphone success, China TV success is built upon what MediaTek provided to that ecosystem. Yep. And uh, I mean, that's, you know, pretty staggering. I know, I know, I mean, the, there's a professor at Harvard at HBS, uh, Willie, Willie Shi, who has written an incredible case study on, on MediaTek and how they enabled not just, you know, a few customers, but like thousands of handset companies to grow up in China. Yep. And that's, I mean, it's pretty, pretty significant impact. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, again, some other places they show up that people may not know if you own a Kindle e-reader, that's got a MediaTek tablet in it. If you've got a Amazon Echo of any kind, that has a MediaTek product in it. And so, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, they're, they're interesting because I followed this company for a really long time. And almost universally, like they'll say, oh, hey, we're in that product. They're, they're in Pelotons, for example. And you, you would have had no idea because they don't they don't go and sing their praises about design wins. It's just a cultural thing that they do. And, you know, as much as I think that it's nice and they, they should do that, it's hard when you don't know, right? You don't see these sort of design wins that they get and, and realize that they're actually much more proliferated. But the thing I've always liked about MediaTek, and, and you hear this, we hear this from our clients who use MediaTek parts, is, you know, um, amongst everybody in the ecosystem, they're one of the most partner-friendly companies because they're willing to just do what their partners want and help, like you said, enable them, not, not be, you know, not have this perception of, of, of what should be done or what they want to do. They're like, if you want to do that, we're going to work with you to do it. And so they're very partner friendly. And I've always heard that and thought that's kind of an underappreciated aspect of, of working with MediaTek is that you get great service along with that. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't know if we want to get too much in their history, but like, if you go back to why they exist and why all those smartphone companies were able to come about is they provided an immense amount of engineering support to, you know, they provide what were called reference designs. Like here's a blueprint to any, anybody who could have, anyone who could do basic, you know, PCB parts assembly could then go out and build a phone because of what MediaTek provided. And they weren't, they, they charge for chips. They don't really charge for that reference design service. That's just, you know, another way to think of that is that's customer support. Yep. And it was really interesting because once MediaTek really started to get scale, they kind of, there's a few, a few years there where Qualcomm was kind of worried about them and Qualcomm tried to go after that market themselves. They had their own set of reference designs and Qualcomm could just not replicate that service model. Like Qualcomm yeah. was just built differently. They're really good at going after the big engineeringly capable companies. Yeah. MediaTek was going after all these people who didn't have RF engineers and didn't have, you know, years of experience in building phones. 
and they provided all that support for them and made that possible. Yep. So, you know, in a lot of ways, they're they're up against dynamics that we talked about last week. Nobody's immune to uh, the the let's just call it uh, scant growth ahead for the semiconductor industry. It's why you hear a lot of um, uh, a lot of earnings calls that's come out of of semiconductor companies right now. Everybody's asking, like, look, you know, where. We, we, we talked last week, this is cyclical. Everybody's asking, well, where are we at? Right? Are we at the bottom of a trough? Is the trough still going to get lower? Like when might this cyclical cycle start to rebound? So those are, those are large, big questions. But diversified businesses do best when you, know, you do have product cyclicality. And that's why you're seeing so many semiconductor companies want to diversify their business. And so at this particular event that I was at, this analyst event with, with MediaTek, you know, they came with a very similar story. Yes, we're, you know, we're in mobile. That's our biggest business, but we have other segments that we want to go into and sort of invest in some adjacencies again, to diversify their business model. Qualcomm has the same, same thing. Again, everybody doesn't want to be a one trick pony. And I think that's relevant in, in this space, but, but it was interesting because this was the first time to be honest with you, I've been at many, MediaTek analyst events where they talked about uh, two areas that I had not heard them talk about before. One, automotive. And apparently, to, unbeknownst to me, they've actually been doing some automotive work with a, num- a couple of, of Chinese OEMs, but not to the degree that they have the same solution that covers ADAS and, and safety and um, you know all the elements of powertrain, et cetera. It was just chips, chips here and there, but it's not their point was we're not you know brand new to automotive even though we have a new platform we we've done some chips and the other was enterprise they've actually uh identified uh enterprise asics so not cpu not gpu but sort of companion processors perhaps some networking right as a growth area and and, and to me i look at those two things cuz these are themes we've talked about yes we believe semis you know content is going to grow in those areas but they're also two of the richest areas for semiconductors so i thought it was smart to the degree that we believe they can go and be successful in those areas, but good adjacencies, in my opinion, to start to make investments in. Yeah, I mean, those those are the growth areas, right? Um, mobile, as we've talked about a lot, is pretty fully saturated and slow growing. Yep. TVs, probably something similar. Uh, IoT, we could spend hours talking about the IoT market, but it's not, you know, 50% growth. Uh, but Two businesses where you know the the whole industry is looking very carefully right now is automotive, and and ASIC. I, I don't know if I call it enterprise, but that ASIC service where they're helping other companies build pr- productized chips. Yeah, and um, yeah, you know the 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 automotive thing. I, I I've said this for a long time now is ADAS, which is the exciting part of the automotive market, is the the chip you need for ADAS looks an awful lot like a mobile applications processor. Mm-hmm. It needs to be able to handle multiple, uh, you know, sensor signal fusion it has to do some analog de- decoding essentially. And this time it's not cellular signals. It's LIDAR, sonar, radar, whatever. And it also has to be able to run lightweight apps. Okay. And it has to be power efficient because it's, yep. you know, it's in an electric vehicle. That's, that's an application processor. That's a Snapdragon or a Dimensity. Yep. Uh, and so it makes a lot of sense for for MediaTek to to go after this. They have the part. Yep. And 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 we talked about this. So this is where I think it'd be good to go a little bit more into uh, China autos and EVs. But I, you know, again, it's 
autos is sort of tough, right? This is a long, long cycle. But I, I have to think that of, of anybody that we've sort of talked about, MediaTek might be one of the better position to go after many of these uh, these automotive companies in China who are you know starting from not from scratch, but but really going full full into EVs. And also a market that might actually move a little bit quicker in terms of year-over-year innovation and design than than U.S. companies. Um, but I think I think of anywhere, right? If I believe their automotive story, I believe it more in China than I do a Ford, a GM, you know, some of these American brands, or, or maybe even to some degree the the Toyotas and the and the Kias of the world. China is taking over the electric vehicle market, and. If you, some numbers came out this week that sort of highlighted this. I've been talking about it for a while, but the numbers like surprised even me, right? They have something like 40% of Europe's EV market right now, massive. In the last four quarters, Brad Setzer on Twitter shared some data. He's an economist and shared some data. Last four quarters, China exported $70 billion in vehicles, right? They Early in 2022, they became a net export net exporter of cars hmm. for the first time in their history. I mean, it's just and it, and it goes from like 10 billion a year ago to 70 billion in a year. I mean, it's it's staggering, and, and that's it's a it's a massive market, and it's it's almost entirely EVs, and uh, there are a lot of semiconductors that go into those EVs. Yeah. So anybody who can supply into that is in uh, is in a good position. Yeah. Yeah, it's the export one. I think is actually really interesting. You know, th- through all of these cycles, people have sort of always tried to ask this question: like, well, when will China be an exporter, like Japan was, like Korea was, right, and bring technologies to a wider market? And and, and again, it's not not that their smartphones um, didn't get out of China. They're obviously smartphone Chinese smartphone brands doing very well in Asia, but not into the United States, right? The same way that that uh, that a that a Toyota or you know Kia and Hyundai have, but I'm curious. You know, do you think maybe not necessarily to the U.S., but is this going to be the kind of big export technology opportunity for for China? I think it already is. I think nobody's noticed it yet, right? I think you know there's there's a few a few key things that they've done. That I, well, I think there's a few things we have to think about going going forward, right? Did they just was this just a fluke? Mm. I don't. I don't think so. I think there's something very solid here. One of the big advantages China has in in going after this market is they obviously have a large domestic market, which is not easy to sell into. But there are you know the big U.S. and European companies all have pretty sizable operations in China. But the the because they sort of had to start off dependent on the domestic market, which is still a pr- pretty price sensitive market. They've really specialized in low-priced EVs. So uh, BYD, which is I think the biggest, yeah, it's the biggest EV maker in China. Uh, BYD is now selling an eleven thousand dollar electric vehicle. I, I don't, I don't think that mark that's going to play well in the U.S., but it certainly plays well in Europe. Like people like smaller cars in Europe, uh, and you know, for eleven thousand dollars, I think maybe people in the U.S. would consider it. Now, separate from that, there are going to be geopolitical reasons why none of these ca- none of these cars have been imported into the U.S. yet. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But I also don't think many people in Europe thought that China was going to sell fifty billion dollars of cars to them this year. So who knows? 
That is that is a that, sorry. How many how many cars do you you, you think the export number reels breaks down to? I I don't know. I don't know. If it's fifty billion dollars. I think is the export figure to, to Europe. And I I think I've seen some statistics. I'm I'm gonna completely forget, but it's it's only it's low double digit percentages, right? Of volume, basically. I know it's higher in China. Like ours is like five percent in the United States is fully electric, but is I think it was dub, maybe double digits for a volume. I know they exported six hundred and seventy nine thousand electric vehicles last year. Okay. Um, which is a pretty sizable. I mean, now to be fair, we're talking about market share of electric vehicles in the, in the yeah, grand yeah. scheme of all vehicles. Right. It's still, you know, it's pretty small. small. Yeah. Um, but I think that's 40% of, you know, exported EVs in Europe or imported EVs imported into Europe. Yeah. That's super, super interesting. I, I'm, I'm fascinated, honestly, but the, your, your, your point about the $11,000, you know, EV is, is just so interesting. And, you know, in so many markets, like you look at, and I think this is actually where I think it's a little bit kind of really interesting, especially relative to MediaTek, who actually does have a lot of share in smartphones in Europe with the Chinese brands, is, um, you know, Europe is is much more concerned about price, if you will, or price to value than the United States market is. I think that's why we have this weird duop- duopoly between Samsung flagships and, and, and iPhones, honestly. But you know, it's not that way in, in Europe. There's a lot of price discrepancy. And because price optionality makes it is, is a big deal, like you could see why auto, you know, follows a very similar path there, right? Get a great value, great car, fully electric, ten, eleven thousand dollars. Like that's a home run for for a lot of people in Europe. They're just not as picky the same way I guess US consumers are with with some of those dynamics. Well, I there's I mean, there's a few things at play. I mean, the European auto market is just different, right? It's they they for a lot of reasons, they want smaller cars, some of which are yeah. just, you know, it's denser. Right. So there's not, parking is harder. Right. A lot of it is regulatory. Um, there are all kinds of reasons. Um, but, you know, Europe has a pretty sizable automotive industry. Uh, and I think uh, those companies are going to be, are now in a pretty uncomfortable position. They, they you know, Daimler, Volkswagen, Audi all need to really accelerate their their shift to EV. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's a that's a long a long cycle for for those companies. But again, right? If you had to venture a guess, how long would it be? This will make my point before there's an an eleven thousand dollar fully electric car in the United States. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just I, I don't even know. I see it on the horizon. You know, it's yeah. crazy. Well, at the at the if you look at the lating, latest pricing statistics from Tesla, maybe maybe it'll be sooner than we expect. But yeah, it's going to be a while. Yeah, yeah. But I think again, right? Just ha- the way that they can they can leverage price, manufacturing, scale. Again, I, I have to imagine these cars are. I, I have no idea, but I have to imagine they're not awful with the technology. Um, you know, is from from all of said features. Again, it's not going to be a luxury EV, but I can't imagine. Right? It's 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 terrible. That getting getting down to that price is is impressive. No, I actually I saw somebody else do a comparison of a few Japanese models versus uh, some of these Chinese EVs, comparable price points. Japanese uh, internal combustion gasoline engines versus Chinese EV, and the Chinese cars were all nicer. I mean, we're you know we're like not luxury leather interiors, but still nicer, more definitely more modern, just looked cleaner. 
they've all been designed in the last few years. You know, these are these are these look pretty appealing. Yeah, but I I, I kind of want to take this back to MediaTek because I think there's something deeper going on here that's important. One of my big questions around the shift to EVs is, will we be able to decouple car design and car manufacture the way that we decouple electronics design and manufacture? Will we have an ODM for cars? And I think that exact model probably won't look exactly like that, but I do think there are some pretty fundamental shifts in the way that we're building EVs compared to gasoline engines that are going to really, really shift how the industry works. And one of the results of that will be, looks like will be cheaper cars. And I think this is really, really important for MediaTek because just like what 20 years ago, 15 years ago, they went to all these Chinese PCB assemblers and said, here, you, this is how you build a, a phone. The the analog today is they're, they're going to all these big traditional gas engine car companies in China, many of which are state run. And they're exactly as clunky and old fashioned as you'd expect them to be. Mm. So they don't necessarily have software chops. You and I talked about this when we talked about automotive a few weeks ago, a few episodes back. Like how are, how are the big car companies going to do software? It's really important. Suddenly it becomes much easier if all the silicon is coming from somebody who's really good at giving you a complete package. Here's a reference design. Yeah. Right. You can, you know, we'll, we'll throw in whatever software. It gets much, much easier when you, when a traditional state run car company is branching into EV. Now they don't have semiconductor expertise, but they don't really need a complete set of capabilities because they have someone like MediaTek who's really good at supplying a lot of that engineering support. And I think this is, you know, this is, this could be a really, this is one of those ways in which the shift to EV is going to shift the economics of the auto market. Yeah. And no, it's, it's a great point. In fact, and you, you using the sort of analogy that they did where they basically had this very quick, quick to market kind of ODM board for, for smartphones, um, you know, just take the board, slap a, slap a brand on it and go, um, is actually a, a, an interesting approach that they can take because, you know, one of the things they shared at this event was this entire now system, right, covering everything from digital cockpit to ADAS to the cameras to the sensors, right? So they, they do have that whole package. And, and, and I kept thinking to myself, like, this is in line with a lot of things we've talked about before, which is anybody who wants to supply to automotive needs to cover as many bases as possible because they don't want a complex supply chain. They just want a complete solution, this whole you know term, a, a one neck to choke scenario, so that they just want to get as much from one vendor as possible so they can just know it works together, write the software and go. And that's why all these companies are are basically doing the same thing, right? If you look at Qualcomm's offering, NXP's offering, and now MediaTek's offering, they're very similar, right? In all the areas that they address because they just want to have that one customer conversation and to some degree, get all of that right, dollar dollar content amount for themselves, share of wallet. But it makes sense, right? You don't want to go CPU, somebody else, camera sensor, somebody else. Only a handful of companies that actually provide all this, like you said. Yeah, agreed. It's I think the, the U.S. automakers are in the process of rethinking their semiconductor strategy. And my sense is they actually aren't looking at doing it that way, that having that one 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 neck to choke because their entire history of supply sourcing 
right. goes against that. They always want to have multiple vendors and they want to play them off each other. And it's a whole complicated thing and they want to be in control. They want to be dependent on anybody. And I think this may be one area that that sort of base instinct works against them. I, th- I, I think I, you're totally I, right. And I think one of, the, one of the really, I think, poorly understood aspects of what MediaTek did in phones that was really important was it greatly accelerated the time to market. Yep. Right. Before MediaTek came along, Nokia, Motorola, it would take them, you know, 10 to 18 months to design a phone. When MediaTek was sort of, when, when that ecosystem was at its height, when there are thousands of vendors in China, you could get a new phone designed in six weeks. So to go from 18 months to six weeks is massive, a massive shift, right? Because it means you can essentially react to consumer demand trends in you know almost real time. And again, auto, autos aren't going to be you know perfect analogy, but I think that by going down this path, it does give the automakers the ability to move much faster. Yeah. And you know, and it's something that Tesla does too. That Tesla Tesla's really good at that, right. constantly iterating and improving as things goes along. Again, completely anathema to the traditional automakers. Yeah. Who I th- have long product think- cycles and everything's thought out at long. I think that's the most important point. Right. And and that again, like even just coming off the last few episodes ago, we were talking about automotive and I was almost just more convinced there's no way the incumbent auto OEMs will survive the next 15 years, 20 years. It's, it, you know, disruption is a process, not an event. And so I think they're going to get disrupted. It's going to take some time. They might not be gone, but I think people have to take a very different approach to this. And that's kind of what we're saying, right? How China's doing it, how Tesla's doing it, how Apple may do it, how Rivian and some of these other brands are doing it, which we talked about might get purchased by other tech companies. But then again, you've got tech companies doing doing automotive because that's that's how they're built. That's how they work. That's the world that they know. And it's not the world that you know your Fords and your GMs know. I will be curious to see what Toyota and, and Hyundai do. I mean, I do tend to think that, that the the Japanese and and Korean brands could maybe adapt faster, but at the same time, I still still don't see it right right now in terms of, of what they're producing. Yeah, my, my sense is that the Toyota and Honda, Toyota certainly are really far behind on this. Um, they're kind of resisting it. Kia Kia is a little different. I think Kia has been you know they're they're the the newcomer. In some senses. So they're moving a lot faster down EV. They have some pretty compelling vehicles, uh, but I think it's going to be a big, uh, big problem for for Toyota and some of the others. I, I, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how how the U.S. companies react. I mean, again, I'm not an automotive expert, but my, my guess is there's going to be two there's going to be two responses in the U.S. the The big incumbents are going to fight it tooth and nail, including especially with you know political trade tariff restrictions. Uh, and then I think there are going to be others who would just say, wow, we can't beat the Chinese EV makers on price. Let's accelerate the, you know, to the next, you know, step function, which is autonomy. Right. And so it's sort of like, there'll be one side that wants to just hold on to the past as hard as possible. And the other side yeah. is just going to be like, let's move as fast as possible to the next step. Cause we have an advantage there. Yeah. Maybe. I, I, I mean, if this decision by GM to uh, to stop stop supporting CarPlay is any indication, which will be, to be honest with you, an absolute disaster for that car company to not support car. This is not a great indication of their decision-making process going forward, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I'm I'm gonna bite my lip because I I, I bash the U.S. auto companies more than I should. But <laughs> yes, I agree with you. Um, okay, so so within China, we 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 believe MediaTek has a model, and automotive is a good is a good adjacency. Um, wait to be seen in U.S. I do think Qualcomm and and NXP are are competitive there, and obviously Nvidia is not going to give up. Um, so let's let's talk about the data center side then, and and then one last one, which is the 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 category everyone likes to bash, but I at least want to bring it up. Um, so the enterprise. So I I again right their commentary is they they see this as an opportunity, uh, global hyperscalers data center. I again think that China is a reasonable market for them to have some success in with what we'll call a, a semi custom ASIC. Um, what what's your thoughts on sort of that premise? Like, am, am I too narrow? Do you think they could get outside of the Chinese hyperscalers, or is it again, yeah, it makes sense for them to 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 start to carve out some opportunity in in the China data center market? So, they've had an ASIC business. Now that I think about it, they've had it for a long time, supporting mostly U.S. companies, not necessarily in the data center, but other equipment, hardware makers. So it's not a totally alien business to them. I think what they've probably seen is that the there is obviously this big move towards everybody rolling their own chips. You know, Broadcom, Marvell, even AMD have talked a lot about that market opportunity. So it makes sense for MediaTek to be in that business. Uh, they do have some U.S. customers already, but it's not the big flagship ones you would think of. Mm-hmm. Um and it's probably and and you know that's okay. Like there just so happens there is uh, a whole country with two thousand chip companies and hundreds of industrial companies all wanting to build their own chips that might need some help. Yeah. And so I I don't think I don't know how much they've gotten in the data center in China yet. I think I don't think Ali uses them, but I certainly it makes sense to you know all those automotive companies we just talked about are going to want to do this, and so you know. I think MediaTek would be happy to work with the automotive companies that are trying to build their own chips. Uh, there are a lot yep. of other industrial companies in China doing the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think I don't think they, you know, I, I think the the logical approach for them is to go after what's closest. Um, but again, they still have you know they still have the occasional stuff outside of outside of that. Yeah. So the the thing that I think is interesting, honestly, is you know they do bring a few things to the table. That's not that it is our data center plays. Um, again, not every workflow in data center. And I think that's an okay observation that all these companies we talk about, it's workflow dependent on the data center. But they do have an advantage. They do have some assets that your Broadcoms and your uh, and your Marvels don't, the two others who you get heard most about custom ASICs in their 5G business. And some of those underlying chips and arch- architecture for 5G. And so I wonder... You know, they've got Wi-Fi as well. You know, networking is a part of what most, you know, switches is, is Marvell and Broadcom too. But they do have some things that others don't. And so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, and that got me thinking, okay, well, where, because you had made a point about MWC, right? That, that some of these uh, hyperscalers were starting to adopt some of the wireless carriers infrastructure. And so in some of those scenarios, connectivity chips make a big deal, right? You need that elements of, of connectivity and, and cellular infrastructure and all some of the backend stuff. And so I just wonder, right, that's the one thing that 
I kept hearing them say, you know, we've got this, the others don't. I don't know how it all fits, but it is it is IP and assets that they have that uh, that the two competitors who get thrown out in this side don't don't have. Yeah, I mean, MediaTek has a, a real networking business, um, you know, mostly Wi-Fi and adjacent stuff. Not competing with Tomahawk, but yeah, it's a sort of low-level Ethernet Wi-Fi level. Uh, and some of their customers, some of their ASIC customers are they already have ASIC customers in the networking space among U.S. companies. Right, so it's. It, I think they're already there, and I think that they have a good shot of extending that business because again, it's close to it's close to home. Like you said, it's close to what they've already been doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I think it's. I think it's smart, right? It, it's it's early days. I mean, I think again, right? The when you hear the overall commentary, which is similar from others, there's they're just looking for areas where you know they can grow amidst other businesses that just aren't going to grow, right? So it it makes sense to make these investments and see again what assets you have. To bring to the table in, again, and here in, in connectivity, right? They've they've evolved their modem strategy to a thin modem, so kind of similar to Qualcomm, right? So if you need a thin modem and you don't need a full SOC, um, you know they're competitive there. The other interesting thing, to be honest with you, is I was a little bit surprised to find this out. I, I had a, I had a slight indication that that they were at least a customer for TSMC three nanometer, but apparently. They're actually going to be a uh, a top five customer priority for TSMC three nanometer because they have so much volume. Um, again, I don't know how much big of a deal three nanometer is going to be in some of these areas. It's probably smartphone first, but they are kind of on that early rise with with, with TSMC that I think is going to be that. Well, I think that's interesting that uh, that they will be in the hunt with some of those first lead customers. Um, so. Whatever advantage that gives, right? They're 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 getting some volume with TSMC on on three nanometer, and that's going to start ramping, I think, come next year. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of a home field advantage there. If you go back to the history of MediaTek, they've always been very very close to TSMC. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was big. It was a big thing in their early early history that relationship. Yep. Uh, and and you know their MediaTek's headquarters are right across the Shinshu from bunch of TSMC fabs. Yeah. So that, I think that, that helps. I mean, my guess is the same as yours is probably mobile phones first, but, uh, it, you know, it pays to, it's pays to be, have good neighbors. Absolutely. And I think TSMC did a lot of work with them. And again, they were Kings in, uh, in media codecs for DVD players, which was a great, great business for a long time at scale and consumer electronics. So good, good legacy and, and, and partnership. Um, so the only other category I wanted to mention, just because it's it's the category that likes to be bashed, was you know they mentioned metaverse only because they're the design win in the PS5 VR, which again I don't expect to sell tremendous amounts of volumes, um, but that's actually a good design win. I, I I don't know if it's semi custom. No one would say, but I have to imagine they did some very specific optimization for PlayStation on that. Um, so you kind of have right these two vendors. If we're just contrasting Metaverse for Qualcomm and and uh, and MediaTek, MediaTek in PSVR, Qualcomm in Oculus Quest. Again, not massive markets, but Metaverse is there, competing. It's not going to be an immediate growth area, but people are investing in it. So it's one of their one of their other categories. I'm 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 tempted to. My urge is to boycott the whole subject, but. You know, if you think about it, if you go if you go to the if you go to the back rooms, back halls of CES, 
less so this year, but certainly in the past, there are a lot of VR goggles out there. Yeah, coming from Chinese companies, and so you know it's it's a it's a natural fit. It's not a huge market, but it's not a huge. Yeah. You know, we'll sell a few million units a year. It's a good it's a good place for them, right? And I think it, and I, I would almost look at it like I think, I think my take is VR is a small market. It, it'll it'll be there. It'll be interesting, but the real interesting potential is with AR when you have glasses that anybody can wear. Yeah out in the world and you can still see things, but you have that data overlay. Yep. Maybe Agreed. Apple's going to launch something soon on AR, right? That's yeah. the rumor. They're going to launch a $3,000 device. Yeah. If that happens, when that happens, I assume they're going to, whenever that happens, everyone else is going to want to follow suit really quickly. And, you know, I think MediaTek wants to talk about XR or VR right now, because just in case, it, you know, uh, two months from now, Apple launches its glasses and suddenly everybody in the world wants to go out and build AR glasses that's going to be a good business for, for media tech. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. You know, they, they don't talk a lot about their IOT business. This is, I wish more of these companies, Qualcomm included and others would, would, would talk about this more, but they did highlight it as a, as a market opportunity. They, they, they view their slice of the pie of IOT as roughly a, uh, a 30 billion, um, uh, dollar market growing to 36 in 2027. Again, they're not going to get all of that, but they're like, this is the segment we think we can go after, which was, again, stuff we've talked about, right? Cameras, because they're in the ring cameras, um, you know, higher compute at the edge. But my, my point was, they, they, they view the market as very big categories in these adjacencies that they're going to start investing in. It takes time. They're not going to get all of it. But the good thing is, you know, my takeaway was, these are really big markets. So it could support more competitors. It can support that, you know, more getting a slice of a pie of these big, you know, mega billion dollar markets. So it's smart to position that way. Again, everything comes down to execution, but I like that they're going after big markets. That's, that's the point I'm making. I, I think one, one thing that sort of stood out for me was in this, they, they talk a lot about IOT and it's things they've are, been making for a long time, you know, Wi-Fi for home routers yeah. and connectivity right. in the home, that kind of stuff. But they actually have a, a, a couple slides dedicated to industrial uh, in particular, they have a they announced a partnership with Contron, which is a big Contron, IoT, yeah. a big IoT system company. I mean, that's a, that's actually fairly important. Like to your point, that's a sizable market. It's a it's a sizable high higher margin market, lower volume, but it's high. It's pretty good pricing. Uh, industrial IoT is going to be a, an important category. We're going to you know start to automate and digitize all the production factories in the world. Yep. And uh, they're they're going after that. Like and, and they're you know they Contron is a, is probably a really good partner for them to have. So. Yeah, they're they're yep. moving down that path. It's pretty good. Yeah, that's why they highlighted it. And and again, right, this comes back to one of those things where they're 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 doing a lot of work. They're they're in a lot of those interesting products. You just don't know, right? Because nobody talks about these design wins. So anyway, good business. Um, all right. So the last thing, just because I keep want to, I want to encourage everybody to keep, keep who cares to keep an eye on this China auto market. So I've asked you this before, but now share it with the world. What are some of those brands that if they wanted to start Googling or searching like the brand Chinese brands that are to, to, to watch that kind of make some of these cases that we're, that we're talking about? So the, the big one is BYD, which was a, a big battery maker and now does uh, electric vehicles as well. It's fairly well known. Warren Buffett had a, had a big investment in, I think he still has a small stake, but he, Warren Buffett made a bunch of money on BYD. They're the they're the market leader. They 
largely because they have a couple models that are very, very cheap and have been selling really well. Uh, beyond that, the market is split in between the legacy ice uh, combustion engine makers who are mostly state-run companies, Shanghai Automotive, Guangzhou Automotive, companies like that, that have subsidiary EV brands, which are doing very well because they have dealer networks and charging networks and all that stuff. And the other half of the market is a series of startups, you know, their equivalent of Rivian. So there's Neo, Xpeng, Li Auto, who, who are much smaller in scale and are going through all the same sort of struggles that Rivian is going through, but have tend to have higher priced luxury, you know, SUVs, all kinds of different categories of cars. So that's very rough layout of the land. Okay, cool. So everybody take, do some searching on that. If you're not aware, uh, follow, follow those brands to see what's happening. Cause this is again, one of the more, one of the more exciting spaces to watch as it relates to uh, the semiconductor industry and, uh, and content. So, all right, we'll, uh, Let's wrap there. And until next week, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Thanks for understanding.